Gracious and loving God, as we approach this scripture this morning, Lord, I ask that you would put me behind your cross, that your words and your thoughts would be mine. And Lord, if I misspeak today, forgive me and let your message be heard. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So in a, in a place long ago and far away, I was a youth minister in Van Alstine, Texas. It's a long time ago. And we would do things in the community to serve others. We would get the kids signed up to do things. And I think y'all have probably heard of great days of service here. I think y'all have that, don't you, in this community? So great days of service, you know, people sign up and you'll go help them do whatever they need done. We did great days of service. For a short time in Van Alstine, we adopted part of Highway 5, which ran through downtown uh, Van Alstine to the north side of Van Alstine. We only did that for a short time, though, because I just feel like children, young kids, and a busy highway don't have anything to do with each other. So we dropped that plan and hurriedly. didn't last long. We took summer mission camp trips. Um... But I don't feel like we served very well on most of those because some of the trips, one of them we went to Durango, Colorado, which you're really roughing it in Durango, if you know what I mean. And we cleaned off a ski slope, so really not mission work. Um, We did weekends that we called It's Not Always About Me, where the kids would get out of school and come straight to the church, and we would stay at the church through the worship service on Sunday, and we would go out and do community things, help folks, you know, clean flower beds, clean up yards, whatever, whatever needed to be done for the group, like a many great days of service. Eventually, our summer trips consisted of working with the Texas Wheelchair Ramp Project, and our goal was three ramps in three days. That's how we would plan our weeks. And so we were getting pretty good at the wheelchair ramps and what we did. But the best, I think the best experience that we had as a youth group was going to the homeless shelter in downtown Dallas. If you've never been there, it is a, it's a sight. <clears throat> we would go down there and we would share a hot meal for lunch, you know, some sort, of, uh, some sort of barbecued meat or something, and potatoes and rolls and a vegetable, another vegetable. And then we would send them away after we left with a, with a sack lunch, something they could have for dinner that night or tomorrow, you know, whatever they wanted to do. And we would offer blankets and jackets and socks and underwear, things that that folks might need that they don't get to get regularly. And I remember the very first time that we went. So we get down there and we pull our couple of church vans into the gated parking lot. I mean, it's got fencing and razor wire around it and they let us park inside because honestly the outside is a little bit rough and dangerous. We didn't want our kids walking from one place to the next. There were too many of them. And as the doors of the van opened wide, the stench of unbathed humans and human waste was so strong, so stout, that it would, it would literally knock you over. I was sure that some of the kids would get sick but they didn't, and they weren't. It was very cold, and as we got out and started unloading, we began setting up the tables that we'd put the food. You know how it works. You've got the, 
the silverware and the plates and the meats and the veggies and the rolls and the butter and the salad all going this way and dessert on the end. Got all that set up. There was another table set up for the jackets and the underwear and the socks. And we began to serve. The kids that I thought would be overwhelmed by all of it weren't. And instead, they started engaging with the folks across the table as they would serve them. They started having conversations. And then when they finished serving, they began to come out from around the table and they would get next to their new friends and they would talk to them. They might put their arm around them. They might get close to them and pray with them. But they were interacting in a way that I didn't think they would. I didn't give them enough credit. The kids were, were beginning to understand that these people weren't really any different than we are. Something as simple as a, 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 a bad life choice, something as simple as a broken home, something as simple as losing a job could put them right there in that place. And they began to understand. And this visit was stretching them in a way that, that I didn't see coming. Before, before we got ready to leave, they started hugging their friends goodbye. And then we circled up, and we were getting ready to leave, and we were going to pray. And they started the prayer, and you know, the youth minister can never keep his head down and pray. He's got to be watching people to make sure they're not doing something silly, or make sure they're all there. As I'm looking around the circle, pretty, pretty proud of my kids that were there. I noticed that one of our adult volunteers is standing there in his socks. So we finish the prayer and we start heading for the van and I come up behind him and I said, what happened? And he said, let's just not make a thing of this. Let's go home. And so he got in the very back of the van where nobody would notice and we drove home. He told me that, that one of the gentlemen that he was talking to didn't have any shoes to face the winter months that were coming up. And he said, these were my new shoes. He said, but I got new shoes at home. I got more shoes than I know what to do with. This guy could use them more than I could. And so he just gave them to him. He met a need in that moment, kind of a God calling, and he met that need with joy. And he said, this is what I got to do. He was willing to sacrifice something very small to him that would be very large to his neighbor. He was willing to go as far as he needed to go that day. So friends, I'm asking, when God places a need in your path, how far are you willing to go to meet it? The sermon text for today is James 2, chapter, 12, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. It says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. So I titled today, How Far Are You Willing to Go? 
And James is reminding us here in this passage that the Christian lives under the law of liberty. And so unlike the Pharisees and the Orthodox Jews, the Christian is not one whose life is governed by a set of rules and regulations, right? Christians follow the way, the way and the truth and the life, right? Christians follow the way, the way of love to God and the way of love to others. And it's not because this external law compels them to, but it's because the love of Christ within our hearts makes us want to do this. It entices us. It creates a desire for us to serve. The Christian must remember that the only one who shows mercy will find mercy. The only one that shows mercy will find mercy. Matthew 5 says, uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And then Matthew 6 talks about that part in the, in the, in the Lord's Prayer that we say, and, and if you forgive others their trespasses, then they're going to forgive your trespasses, and God's going to forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Scripture tells us that the one who would find mercy must be merciful. And then James goes a little further saying that mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, Paul and James disagree here. It's Paul's position that a person is saved by faith alone and that deeds don't come into it anywhere. There's no need for deeds. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that a man is justified by faith apart from works of law. But James believed, like John the Baptist, that men should prove the reality of their repentance by the excellence of their deeds. In Matthew 5, it was Jesus preaching that men should so live in the world, that the, so live that the world might see their good works and give glory to God. He insisted that it was by their fruits that men must be known. 2 Corinthians tells us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that everyone may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. The fact that Christianity must be demonstrated is an essential part of the Christian faith throughout the New Testament. James argues against belief as merely fact without influence. But the difference between Paul and James is not that far. It's simply the starting point. Paul starts with the great basic fact of the forgiveness of God, which no man can earn or deserve. And James starts with the professing Christian and insists that a man must prove his Christianity by his deeds. We're not saved by deeds, but we're saved for deeds. The deeds are a response to the love and the grace and the mercy that God has shown us. And we, we are so overwhelmed and so thankful for the love that God has given us, that we want to go out and serve others, that we want to maintain a, 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 an ethics about us in our work relationship for God. We, we, should, be, we should be filling up these, these clipboards that go around, you know, uh, you know like, like, like Megan was saying, trunk or treat. Now, trunk or treat's not really a hard-working deal. That's something we do for fun, but you she passed around the clipboard, we should all be like, hey, how can we, how can we help? You know, if it's just setting up and putting on, a, putting on a scary costume, maybe you're going to dress up like the preacher for that. I don't know, something scary. It scares me. But go and, and 
participate and be a part of stuff like that. James doesn't accept belief without practice. So to him, faith without deeds is dead. And this would, this would, uh, this would appeal to the, to, the, to the Jew because practical help was one of the great marks of Jewish piety. If we are all talk and no action, then we do not have faith. Faith in action is a demonstration of our love for God. And we don't do the works to gain the salvation, right? The salvation is given to us freely. God gave us Jesus who died on the cross for our lives eternal, right? So we don't do anything for that. It's just given to us. But it's right there for us to take if we want it. All we have to do is reach out and grab. Now most of us hear the word regularly. We come to church. Maybe we watch it online on those Sundays we don't feel well. Um, we have it on the internet. We can watch any, any number of preachers we want. We can read our Bible ourselves. I heard God's word, but I didn't really act on it until the age of 37. I was really a hearer of the word until then. And at about 37, I thought, I'm supposed to be doing something. I'm supposed to be preaching. Actually, I thought I was supposed to be in music ministry. I thought that's what I was going to do. But anybody that's heard me play guitar knows that ain't the case. <laughs> But I, it was only then that I decided to do something, and I began to discern my call to ministry. I went from being a hearer only of God's Word to one who actively embraced it and set out to do what I could do, to see how far I could go to, to serve. Sometimes as believers, we fall back into the hearers only. But all the things that we do, the readings and things, help to bring us back to service to God. 1 John 3.22 says, And we receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. So, so by that statement alone, we can conclude that if we are not keeping His commandments and are not doing the things that are pleasing to God, we have no biblical right to expect that our prayers are going to come true, right? Right? It's kind of a give and take, it sounds like. You do as God asks you to do. You live as God asks you to live. And you serve because you love Him. And you too are going to be taken care of. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Truthfully, we see a lot of people who are really good at talking and not very good at doing. But we are called to be obedient doers of the word. I encourage you today to, to think about how you can be an obedient doer of the word. We're supposed to talk about our faith. We're supposed to talk about Jesus and the Scripture and the things that God has done in our lives. The way that we could have gone down a hundred other paths, but we didn't because here we are. Talk about that. Or the paths that we did go down and God saved us from our own personal implosion. We are supposed to talk about it, but we're all supposed to, also supposed to go out and do for our neighbors so that our neighbors have the same opportunities that we do. We are sowing seeds of God's word into the hearts of others. 
And when we talk to others, and our fruit is obvious, then we are better received. They'll see our godly character and our godly conduct. So who can you help today? Who can you help today? What kind of gifts do you have to respond to God in helping others? And when God places a need in your path today, and God will, how far are you willing to go to make it happen? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.